This is the Tom Baker Show. Hello and welcome to the Tom Baker Show. I am Tom and it is great to be back in the comfy chair once again. We were off last week for the 4th of July and goodness gracious, I feel like there is just so much to talk about Uh, and we're going to forego a featured guest on this show and just sort of hit some of the topics that have been going on in NASCAR and IndyCar and F1 and just so much to unpack over the last couple of weeks. So let's get started right away with our warm-up. We go to NASCAR first. We're going to talk about this past weekend, the truck series, the O'Reilly Auto Parts 150 at Mid-Ohio. It was Heim time on the road courses. Corey Heim. Drove a spectacular race to hold off defending series champ Zane Smith and take the win in his state light. (laughs) Let's try this again. Safe light Toyota Tundra for Tricon Garage. And it was a really fun race that started in the rain and ended in gorgeous sunshine. So the drivers really had a mental challenge trying to keep up with the changing conditions. But it was a a great run for, uh, for Corey to get the win. I think the biggest surprise for me was Stuart Friesen finishing fourth. Stuart's not really known for his road course racing ability, but he really did a nice job in the Hallmark Racing Toyota. Brought home a nice top five finish. The Truck Series, incidentally, next race at Pocono on the Tricky Triangle, the original Roval, if you ask Darrell Waltrip. Uh, July 22nd, and that will be a noon Eastern start on FS1. The Xfinity Series, the Ausco Uniforms 250 in Atlanta. Now, here again, uh, Atlanta is the only mile-and-a-half super speedway. It is a an intermediate track that, since it's been reconfigured, is racing like a super speedway, and it was amazing over the weekend feels like as that new pavement starts to age just a little bit, it's really becoming one of my favorite racetracks of the year again to go to, whereas for so many years, to me, most boring of the mile-and-a-half tracks, least amount of cautions, just droning and droning and droning through a race, um, And since they reconfigured it, I know there's been a lot of controversy about it, but my opinion at this moment, I think probably of all the mile and a halfs, it's the place to go watch a race. Uh, And, and you know, which of the teams is the team to watch on, on super speedways, quote unquote, even though Atlanta is not a super speedway, it sure drives like one in colleague racing had three cars up front. For much of the race, Daniel Hemrick looked like he was going to get his first win of the season. But Justin Haley, leading on the restart to kick off overtime, decided to zig when his teammates zagged, and that opened the door for John Hunter Nemechek. 
to lead only the last three laps, but he took top honors, and Hemrick was kind of mad at Justin Haley after it was over. Hemrick finished second with Cole Custer, Haley, and Sam Mayer rounding out the top five, and Mayer was my surprise in this event, but a nice surprise. I'm not surprised that Sam Mayer finished up near the front on a road course. That is Sam's bread and butter. Road courses are where Sam has excelled since go-karts. And I'm not surprised he finished in the top. What I'm, what I'm saying is this was a nice surprise. He's a strong road racer, but he badly needed a top five finish. Sam is a young racer that, in my opinion, just needs more time to develop his craft. And he's going to be a winner in the Xfinity Series, I think, this season yet. I think he's going to get a win. A definite confidence booster from Mayer and his junior motorsports team next race for the xfinity series the amber held 200 at new hampshire this saturday 3 p.m on the usa network now let's go to the cup series one of the in my opinion absolute worst names for a nascar cup series race in the history of the series the quaker state 400 available at walmart at atlanta (laughs) it's actually just the quaker state 400 available at walmart that's where they raced was in atlanta but available at walmart do we really need to be told that quaker state can be bought at walmart is there anybody who would even think oh gosh i need to change the oil in my car maybe i should go get some quaker state i wonder if walmart carries it (laughs) it's a marketing guy it's just like do better, people. The, the the late start time bit NASCAR for the second straight weekend as a heavy rain cell descended over the track 185 laps into the 260-lap race, forcing a premature checkered flag. William Byron didn't care. He scored his fourth win of the season with a sterling performance in the Hendrick Motorsports Chevy. Daniel Suarez finished second, A.J. Allmendinger third, Michael McDowell fourth, and Kyle Busch who didn't have his best performance overall in the race, still managed to be fifth at the finish with his RCR Chevy. And that's why I continue to say Kyle Busch is going to be your champion at the end of the season. The biggest surprise for me, I think Suarez and Almondinger both um, were surprises. Neither has been in the mix too much up front this season in Cup, but both of them have fast cars and stay out of trouble in a race that was particularly intense from start to finish. Can we talk about this for just one minute? I think that race at Atlanta, the cup race in particular, absolutely. I didn't think anything, honestly, would probably top the Chicago street race as the most intense and enjoyable cup race of the year. Well, I think Atlanta did. It was incredible how hard those guys were racing. And it, it, for, for the first um, two thirds of the laps they ran, it wasn't about rain. Nobody knew that it was going to rain or when. It was just hard racing. Incredible. Now, the next race for the Cup Series, the name of the race may, this race may have topped the available at Walmart part as the word, this may be the word, the Crayon 301 at <laughs> New Hampshire this Sunday, July 16th at 2.30 Eastern. On USA, Crayon 301. I wonder if this is brought to you by Burnt Orange. 
All right, IndyCar was off. They're off another week, and then they come back in Iowa, July 22nd and 23rd, Alex Pelot trying to do uh, what Max Verstappen is doing in F1. Uh, Iowa, one of my favorite places to see IndyCars run. That should be fun. The F1 British Grand Prix at Silverstone. Okay, check this out. Over 480,000 fans in attendance at the British Grand Prix last weekend. Almost half a million fans in attendance. Average spend, by the way, 448 U.S. dollars. The ticket price has increased 238% in the past five years for this race, and yet attendance was 80,000 fans higher than last year. It's now the most well-attended F1 race in history. Unbelievable. Who won? (laughs) Mad Max. Of course, Max Verstappen won by just three seconds over. Now, (laughs) there's a pattern here. Over McLaren, Mercedes, Lando Norris, Mercedes, Lewis Hamilton, McLaren, Mercedes, Oscar Piastri, who had his best career finish in his rookie year, and Mercedes, George Russell. Okay, see the pattern there? A Red Bull beats four Mercedes. Okay, now... Um, that has led to a bit of a shakeup here. Now, this it was announced this week that Nick DeVries is out at uh, AlphaTauri, which is basically the Red Bull uh, second team or development team, and has been replaced by Daniel Ricardo. Now, if you're uh, Sergio Perez, if you're Chico Perez. Um, now Chico says, uh, I don't really care about that right now. I'm just trying to salvage my season, but, um, Chico's got to know that his days are numbered because Max Verstappen is literally just burying the field every week. And, you know, Perez can't hardly get on the podium. So something is definitely, um, not jiving with Perez and, and Red Bull. And I would not be surprised to see Daniel Ricardo in, in that car, for 2024 next event for f1 the hungarian grand prix july 21st through the 23rd that is not this weekend but next so they are off for one week okay so we uh i want to shift gears for a minute and just real quickly talk about uh chicago because it was there's so much to unpack here um the uh, you've seen the results everybody watched the race I'm going to hit a couple of things just as information because I think there are some things that people are still a little bit confused about or or wondering what was going on. So let's start with Saturday, the Xfinity race. That race, first of all, again, late start times. The, the, the The problem that I have with late start times is that it leaves you no wiggle room if it rains, especially if you have a track like Chicago where there was no, you know, you're not going to race by street lamp. So um, they only had X amount of time to get the race in to begin with. And when you start so late, you just don't leave a lot of time. Well, they had, if if they started it at four central, if you, if you ran the thing off uh, on a perfect day, you would have had plenty of time. But the minute you start getting lightning holds, now NASCAR is a 30 minute lightning hold. But the city of Chicago in the park where the, the in the area of the track has a 90 minute lightning hold. So every time there's a lightning strike within X amount of miles of that park, 
It's a mandatory shutdown for an hour and a half. So now you can see why the late start time became an issue because it wasn't so much that the lightning hadn't stopped. It was the fact that by the time the lightning stopped, even to try to run the race in some sort of, you know, rainy, damp condition, whatever, they didn't have enough time because of the lightning holes, the ex- the extended lightning hold that Chicago had versus um, versus the, uh, the, the NASCAR policy was an hour longer. So that was definitely an issue there. And so we got close to halfway, but we didn't get to halfway. And because again, of the timing of the way everything hit, um, and that extended lightning strike, it, it didn't even get to halfway and NASCAR decided rather than keep all of those people hanging around until Monday, they did try to do it Sunday, but obviously Sunday was not going to happen. So it just got called official. If they'd started that race earlier in the day, they would have gotten it in. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, they, you know, the folks also lost out on the Chainsmokers concert, which was a big deal that brought a lot of the fans there because the Chainsmokers had a gig in Vegas that night. And again, you know, the long lightning holes, park shuts down, whatever happens. And so just weren't able to, to make it happen. So I'm hoping that next year NASCAR and Chicago will work on that a little bit and try to figure out a better way. Either you got to start it much earlier to give yourself a little more space um, to weigh out a rain situation, or you've got to go with uh, a shorter lightning, uh, lightning strike time. But it was, uh, that was tough. And of course on Sunday, it was just miserable. Um, I mean, that was unbelievable amounts of rain and, you know, it, it, again, you had, you had drivers like Denny Hamlin saying, like, don't even start the race. Don't do this. You know, don't change the narrative of what's been, you know, really, a a, a, a great undertaking. Don't do something that's not sensible. Well, it turns out that, you know, they were able to start the race and get it going. Now, when the track was wet, it was chaos. I mean, everybody just bumping into the barriers. It's the typical thing that happens in street racing when it rains. Everybody just spins and hits things and the track gets blocked and it's just a mess. Um, These are guys that don't have much street racing experience except for Shane Van Gisbergen, who ended up winning. We'll get to that in a moment. But um, this race, once the track, as the track started to dry, this race became really, really fun to watch. Um, everybody stayed close and, and people got more ballsy when the track dried out, right? Nobody wanted to go for it. And the ones who did in the wet paid for it, you know, I mean, gosh, Noah Gregson, I think four times, Kyle Busch, um, uh, was it Alex Bowman? I think had one Elliot hit, uh, hit a barrier. I mean, you had all these, you know, that just not used to racing with such close quarters, and no runoff. There's no room to make a mistake. So you have to be, when you race a street course, you're racing the course. You're not racing the other cars. You have to first defeat the course to defeat the other cars. Shane Van Gisbergen knows this. He's a three-time Australian Supercars champion. He's a two-time Bathurst 1000 winner. He knows this. So Shane sits back and just lets the race develop, kind of waits till everything sort of starts happening. The track's dry now. He knows what he can do. And he, he, I mean, he just had way more experience 
And these cup cars are so similar to the supercars that he's used to running in so many ways. It's a grand touring car that really for him, this seemed like this big impossible task, but really he had more experience than probably everybody else in the entire field put together on the street course. So they, they kind of went to his backyard and, you know, he just spanked the field. I'm not diminishing the accomplishment. It was incredible what Shane Van Gisbergen did, but you got to give credit to drivers like Justin Haley, who really made him work for it, you know, and, and a lot of these race car, these cup drivers are now accomplished road racers but there's a big difference between racing on the street and racing on a road course that's designed for racing with runoff space and more room, more margin for error. Um, and and that's where Shane got his big advantage. It was a, it was a fun uh, race to watch for sure. I just, I think with Chicago and Atlanta, we saw the late start time just takes away that if, if something happens, you're screwed. You know, if they were... Um, in a position, say, and especially in Atlanta, you're running it on a Sunday night. That's the chance you take because, you know, most people have to work Monday morning. Your, your TV viewership falls off. As soon as you have that rain delay, you might as well call it because nobody's only the most diehards of us, you know, people like me who do this for a living, we're going to stick around till two in the morning if that's what it takes. But most of the TV audience is not. So um, I understand what NASCAR is trying to do. I understand TV loves late starts because you get the most viewers. Sunday primetime is the biggest primetime of the week. But it's, you know, that's that's just, that's a tough situation to, it. you know, that I, I really feel like um, the, the Xfinity audience at Chicago, the Xfinity people that showed up, the, the, the fans, who who came there and spent several hundred dollars for a ticket and wanted to see the concert and they didn't get any of that. And, and I feel like at Atlanta, we all got treated only half a race when we wanted to see the rest. And that's, um, I'm not, so I, I, I just think we gotta, the start time thing somehow has to be standardized. If football can do it and baseball can do it, I don't know why NASCAR can't do it. And I think in some way, shape or form, we've got to be able to come up with something. I have no problem with some primetime events because I think, you know, that's a good way to get new fans. However, um, I think you've, I think you do that on a Friday night or a Saturday night, not on a Sunday night. I don't think Sunday night primetime in the middle of the summer when, you know, there's always a chance of rain in these warm weather climates, thunderstorms blow up on a dime. I, I just think you need to, you need to think about that a little bit. I wanted to see the rest of that race, but overall, um, you know, the, the race at Chicago, it gets 10 out of 10 for me. Um, Atlanta is certainly 10 out of 10 and, uh, the, all of the NASCAR series right now, kind of on a roll with some great racing and that is, is our warm-up. It's time for today's hot topic. And I thought that we would dive into a little bit of conversation here about two major topics that come up in my world all the time. 
as as a, a a content creator who also works with drivers who race at the uh, local to regional levels who are trying to climb the ladder in one discipline of the sport or another, I deal with this stuff all the time. And having been a short track promoter and someone who has worked with various tracks and series over the years, there are a couple of topics that are that are kind of hot on the internet in some places here that I thought we could touch on and and bring a little bit of discussion and light to. So today's hot topic is short track promoting and the internet. And the question is, has the internet ruined or seriously negatively impacted short track racing? And here's the sort of form in which we, we start this, the, the, um, the issue is fans of a track or competitors or crew members who get on either their own or the tracks, social medias and criticize the track. That's what we're talking about. And there's a lot of question, a lot of discussion around, is that, is that okay? Is it not okay? And Why? Okay, why do you believe either way? What, what whatever your viewpoint is. So, um, I need to start this, and we're, and and this is going to be a bit of a, a longer hot topic than what we're used to here. But there's a lot to talk about here. The first thing is that I think we can all agree that whether we like it or not, social media is not going anywhere. Um, it's here. There's, you know, millions and millions or billions of people on it. It's not going anywhere. So if you're going to be a track owner or track promoter in 2023, social media is a part of your world. Now, my issue is it shouldn't be your entire promotional world, but we'll get to that. I think that in this, we'll call it digital age, I think that there are an awful lot of track promoters. And this is where I I look at the issue of people criticizing tracks or series or whatever on the the the, the web or on social. I look at it from both angles because to me, um, and, and there was a track, I'm not going to name it. There was a track that I just saw what's basically a final post from the promoters of the track that basically, you know, was a giant um, finger flip to the, the people who criticized them on the internet. Basically, they, they're just shutting the track down. They're done with it. We're tired of your criticism. We're tired of you continually beating us up. We're tired of, you know, and it was all about how we can now go, you know, hang out on a beach, blah, blah, blah. Well, here's, here's now, I don't know the situation with that specific track. They could be brilliant promoters and still fans because fans are never happy. The two things we know about people on the internet, one, they, they, many of them feel like they can type whatever they want with no responsibility or accountability and don't expect to be criticized for, for what they type. They think they have complete rights to say whatever they want 
because it's, you know, First Amendment. And then, of course, there's a faction of those that will argue that the First Amendment only applies to them. But that's uh, <laughs> that's not for this show. It's all other show. So the the this could have been that. But here's my thing. I have been around the country in different parts of the country, been to a ton of different racetracks from short tracks to NASCAR, dirt pavement, you know, road courses, um, never been to a street course race, um, been to a couple of parking lot races like the Scusa Nationals for carts. Um, so I've, I've seen a lot over the years. Doesn't make me an expert. It just means I've observed enough that I think I can, can, can safely say and be qualified to say that in this digital age, many track promoters have gotten ridiculously and inexcusably lazy. Some of it, I think, is just maybe a few of them don't understand, but I, I've talked to several of them, and it's just like, well... You know, we don't need to do anything but Facebook. We don't need to promote anywhere on fa- but on Facebook. One of the things that I I criticize promoters for big time is the fact that they think that Facebook is all they need. As long as they have a Facebook and maybe they have an Instagram or a Twitter, that's it. They don't need to uh do an email list. They don't need to send results to the media. They just post them on Facebook and then they wonder why no fans show up. They don't get new fans because the only people they ever talk to are the ones that have already signed up to follow their Facebook, which is their current fans. They don't, they don't, there's no outreach, you know, in social media, Facebook only shows your post to three to 5% of your total following. And it's not always that same three to 5%, of course, because we're not all on Facebook at the same time. And even if we are, we don't all see it. And if, if nobody starts sharing and commenting and, and engaging with that post within the first 20 minutes or so, Facebook just decides it's not popular enough. So the algorithm just makes it disappear. So it doesn't, it doesn't get it out there to the whole following. So along those same lines, here's, here's the, This all falls under the category of promoters have accountability too. If you are a promoter, for example, who does not upkeep your track, if I go to your track and your bathrooms, which are the number one fan concern at a racetrack, especially with women, your bathrooms, if your bathroom basically is a sewer with a roof on it, then you're going to get called out for that. If you're, if you're serving last week's hot dogs, if your food is bad and you're charging seven or eight bucks for, for, for a meal with a, with a, a bad hamburger, a hot dog, a burger that's charred to death, a, a whatever it is. If your food's not good and or it's overpriced, you're going to get called out for it. If you're a promoter who runs seven or eight different divisions and three of them are late models and you've got 10 cars in each one of them instead of having one division with 30 that will put on some great shows 
and your show doesn't end until midnight or after, and half the little kids that that the parents bring are falling asleep next to them, you're going to get called out for it. If you lack the understanding that you still have to go into town and hang flyers and put stuff on the bulletin board at grocery stores and take race cars in, take your pace vehicle in, give away some tickets, have a car show, invite first responders like fire and police to get in for free by showing their badge, something my home track at Oswego Speedway, I don't know if they still do it, but they did it for decades. I had firemen in my family. They used to get in on their badge. And that was the, that was the track's way of saying, thank you for what you do. If you're not engaging with your community and working hard to get people to come to your track outside of social media, you're going to get called out for it. The irony is that racetracks, now there's a lot of mainstream media that have completely forgotten that motorsports exist. There's media, I'm in the Charlotte, North Carolina area. If you're a local track, you can hardly get any of the main media, TV, radio, whatever, to even acknowledge that you exist because NASCAR. Well, don't let those people being ignorant to what really racing is all about, because that's all. If all you know about racing is NASCAR, you can understand the sport. This sport was built from the bottom up. It was built. There's these divisions that race locally. They're family owned teams. These people bust their tail to go to the track every week. It's a whole different atmosphere at, at the Saturday night track than it is at a NASCAR race. NASCAR races are becoming more and more like F1 races every day. They're becoming events for elites who want to be seen. It's like a social event with red carpets and all that. You're not seeing red carpets at your local dirt track. Why? Well, first of all, it would be brown after the first night. (laughs) Second of all, um, that's not what that's about racing first at the local tracks. And, and that's where, I mean, at, at my local track at Oswego Speedway last week, we had two first time winners in, in two of the three features. One of them is a driver who's 18. His 14 year old brother is doing his tires and his older brother built builds and, and, and repairs the car does is, is his crew chief. This is his family and operation as it gets. The other one was in the big block super modified class and Camden proud grew up at Oswego and, and bleeds Oswego speedway blood. His father was a racer there and, um, still is in fact, won a feature. I think it was last year, uh, won his first feature in the small block, the SPS super division. And now Camden's running in the big block supers and Camden got his first win place went crazy again, generational families. There's two and three generations in all these Saturday night tracks. You don't see that as much in NASCAR anymore. Now, I'm not disrespecting NASCAR. I'm making a point here. And the point is that if you're a Saturday night short track promoter, the old school stuff, having an email list, 
getting people to subscribe to that list and then giving them opportunities to win things or engage with things. Websites are a must. If you don't have a website for your track, you are not a serious business. You are a hobby. Websites are really, really good these days and and have plenty of ways to engage with fans. Social media is just one tool in the toolbox and you're missing out on bunches of opportunities to engage where people in your area hang out if you don't actually try because that's how you're going to get fans. And I have a driver that I work with in the UK and he just told me the other day in our coaching session about how the track that he raced at this past weekend, the, the gate opening for the drivers that letting them into the pits, the, the, the gates open was delayed because the people from the track were in town. There was a carnival and they were in working to hand out flyers and get people excited to come to the races that night. That's how you promote. This is a two way street. I totally, totally, totally understand why promoters get frustrated because no matter how much good you do, no matter how much you try to do it right, somebody's going to get mad and somebody's going to be a keyboard cowboy, tough person who doesn't feel like they should be held accountable for what they say or do on the internet. And they're going to bash you and they're going to, you know, well, that's, I mean, to a certain degree, that is their first amendment, right? It's also your first amendment, right? To block them and, and ban them from your racetrack. But, but if, if for these track promoters who are depending on backgate money and not taking care of the fans, not making sure the bathrooms are clean, not making sure that the food is good and reasonably priced, I might add, because I, I've done this enough to know that concessions are the biggest profit for the track. So if it, I, went for, I went to the summer shootout, for example. I go there every week. There's a food truck that's serving the shootout five bucks for a 20 ounce soda or a bottle of water, $5. I'm sorry. That's unacceptable. That's an absolute joke. That's just somebody trying to gouge people and maximize their profit. They're not serving anyone. They know they've got you captive for about four hours. So they're going to take advantage of that unacceptable fair fairness treat the fans fairly give them a good show be consistent start on time three to three and a half hours maximum that's your show length if you can't do a show in three to three and a half hours you're doing something wrong you got too many classes which unfortunately a lot of these promoters rely on back gate because they don't want to work hard enough to get the front gate and so This is where we've come to. So here's my conclusion to this. There's two sides to this argument. Personally, if I'm a track owner, I want my fans feedback. That's how I know what they want versus what I think they want. (laughs) Now, you can't just because every fan's going to have a different idea of what should be done or how it should be done. And there's obviously a lot of fans just don't understand how, what, promoting is or what expenses the track has they're just i use the word ignorant but not in a nasty way they just don't know so i want them to feel like they can but here's the thing 
a promoter has a responsibility to, first of all, make the track safe for the drivers, safe for the fans, make the experience comfortable and enjoyable for the fans, keep them informed, keep them educated. And again, the aesthetic is important here. It doesn't have to look like a palace, but have nice, clean bathrooms where the toilets don't flood up or, or get get overrun um, it, it, by the end of practice. Okay, fix your crap and keep it nice or just have clean porta johns for crying out loud. But especially, I'm telling you, the women's room is the most important part. If you're going to bring a, bring a family, the women's room and the men's too, most important part of the deal and good food at fair prices. You'll sell more food with a $5 meal deal. You'll make more money than you will by gouging people because they might eat twice. And that's just simply how it works. So I, my conclusion here is while social media gives keyboard cow folks free reign to say what they want without any accountability, if you're a tracker series owner or promoter and you're not putting the fans first, you can't complain when they take to the social and call you on on it because it's here. It's not going anywhere. And it's just, you, you gotta, you gotta develop some thick skin and learn the difference between some, you know, bozo who just likes to complain about everything all the time, which is actually a lot of NASCAR fans. They love beating up on NASCAR cause it's fun. And then they keep, they, they keep doing it week after week while saying they're never going to watch again, <laughs> which is even funnier, but at the short track level, you're it's it's here it's not going anywhere so you know if you're engaging properly with your fan base and the attitude that you project to them about their importance to you and through your actions what you demonstrate to them and to your competitors too for that matter okay if you don't have good tech consistent tech if you play favorites, if you, well, this guy builds motors, spends a lot of money with the track, I guess we'll let him go. Uh-uh, no. All it is, when it comes through tech, it's a car number. When it's, when it's on the track, it's a car number. I don't care if he spends money with the track, it's a car number. If he screws up and needs a black flag, he gets black flagged. If he screws up and needs to be DQ'd, he's DQ'd. Simple as that. If you do that, you do those things consistently, you will grow a fan base if you work hard enough, but you got to engage physically, not just virtually, physically with the people in the area. You have to show them and shake their hands. Basically, you got to be a good communicator. If you're not, hire one. Hire somebody to do your promoting. It's worth the expense. And that's, this week's hot topic. Well, that'll bring this week's show to a close. Want to thank everybody here a little bit, a little bit short uh, on the episode time here, but uh, wanted to make this sort of fast and sweet and make sure we gave ourselves enough time to get through some of those topics. I want to hear your points of view. Agreement with me is never required. So anywhere you see this show, drop a comment. Okay, that's that's how we're going to build the audience, number one. But I want to know what you think. And I want to hear your points of view. 
I know that I'm not always going to be popular for my points of view, but I'm to the point where I've been around the sport long enough and have observed enough and have done enough in the sport as far as having different positions to understand what it takes. I haven't always been the most successful at everything, but I've been, I've been somewhat successful at most things. And so I want this sport to grow and I don't want to see us so reliant on the virtual world that we forget that there's a physical world around us. And even the people that are criticizing us are people. Some of them are just never going to agree with us no matter what we do. And you'll figure out who those are and you can deal with them accordingly. But in this sport, there's a lot of passion, a lot of emotion. And so that's really what this show is about. We want to bring those things on our next show. We're going to talk about sponsorship And we're going to talk about some things that I'm seeing with regard to sponsorship that are good and some things that are not so good. It has changed a lot over the last five years. So next week on the Tom Baker show, we are going to get into some things and some topics and some tips on how to do sponsorship well and how to do it poorly (laughs) because I've seen a lot of both. Um, and again, it's changed a whole lot lately. So for more great content, please go to steeringwheelnation.com. You've got ways through our social media at the wheel nation at the wheel nation. You can find me, uh, at coach Tom NC on threads and on Twitter at coach Tom NC. And then, of course, uh, Steering Wheels at The Wheel Nation on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Also, LinkedIn as well. You can uh, find us on there also and find me on there. Um, I've enjoyed uh, this week's show. I hope you have, too. And some great racing going on, including the SRX series starting this Thursday, which is tonight as this show is unveiled. Tonight, 9 o'clock ESPN And that should be a lot of fun. Thursday night, Thunder is back. Have a safe and enjoyable racing weekend, everyone. And we'll talk to you next Thursday for the next Tom Baker show. So long. You've been listening to the Tom Baker show.